everyone, it's Mrs. Sarah Dulles again. I'm here to read you There Will Come Sufferings by Ray Bradbury. Bradbury po- uh, published this story in the 50s. However, it's set in August of 2026, which is really interesting because that's only six years away from us. So, um, you know, pretty close to where we are. Um, the, the situation here is that there has been an atomic bomb that has decimated life all altogether except this one house that has remained um and the house continues to go about its day because it's kind of like a smart house um with no people there so it's very eerie um it's very unsettling the tone and you're gonna definitely hear and hopefully start to create this picture so make sure that you have your story in front of you either on your computer screen or if you are able to print out a copy um, and you have some sort of way to jot down some things as you read it's going to be important because there are some questions that follow um and yeah so just practice your annotating skills that we've worked on all year together and you should be good to go and there's also um a animated video that's been linked it's very short it's uh just enough to kind of create this picture for you i hope that you sort of create one on your own as well as you read um but it's it's interesting to see another person's perspective of the story uh, visually so check that out if you'd like and here we go in the living room the voice clock sang Tick-tock, seven o'clock, time to get up, time to get up, seven o'clock, as if it were afraid that nobody would. The morning house lay empty. The clock ticked on, repeating and repeating its sounds into the emptiness. Seven-nine, breakfast time, seven-nine. In the kitchen, the breakfast stove gave a hissing sigh and ejected from its warm interior eight pieces of perfectly brown toast, eight eggs sunny side up, 16 slices of bacon, two coffees, and two cool glasses of milk. Today is August 4th, 2026, said a second voice from the kitchen ceiling in the city of Allendale, California. It repeated the date three times for memory's sake. Today is Mr. Featherstone's birthday. Today is the anniversary of Talita's marriage. Insurance is payable as are the water, gas, and light bills. Somewhere in the walls, relays clicked. Memory tapes glided under electric eyes. Eight, one, tick tock, eight, one o'clock, off to school, off to work, run, run, eight, one. But no doors slammed. No carpets took the soft tread of rubber heels. It was raining outside. The weather box on the front door sang quietly, Rain, rain, go away. Umbrellas, raincoats for today. And the rain tapped on the empty house, echoing. Outside, the garage chimed and lifted its doors to reveal the waiting car. After a long wait, the door swung down again. At 8.30, the eggs were shriveled and the toast was like stone. An aluminum wedge scraped them into the sink, where hot water whirled them down a metal throat which digested and flushed them away to the distant sea. The dirty dishes were dropped into a hot washer and emerged twinkling dry. 9.15, sang the clock, time to clean. Out of warrens in the wall, tiny robot mice darted. The rooms were a crawl with the small cleaning animals, all rubber and metal. They thudded against chairs, whirling their mustached runners, kneading the rug nap, sucking gently at hidden dust. Then, like mysterious invaders... 
They popped into their burrows. Their pink electric eyes faded. The house was clean. Ten o'clock. The sun came out from behind the rain. The house stood alone in a city of rubble and ashes. This was the one house left standing. At night, the ruined city gave off a radioactive glow, which could be seen for miles. 10.15. The garden sprinklers whirled up in golden founts, filling the soft morning air with scatter scatterings of brightness. The water pelted window panes, running down the charred west side where the house had been burned, evenly free of its white paint. The entire west face of the house was black, save for five places. Here, the silhouette and paint of a man mowing a lawn. Here, as in a photograph, a woman bent to pick flowers. Still further over, their images burned on wood in one titanic instant. A small boy, hands flung into the air, higher up, the image of a thrown ball, and opposite him a girl, hands raised to catch a ball, which never came down. So I'm just going to stop there really quickly because that's super important to understand what happened here. Um, you have to imagine like the black burn of the side of the house and these images are just like silhouettes, like just the outlines. So you can sort of tell that this happened instantly, completely unexpected. I mean, the man was mowing the lawn, the woman was doing yard work, they were kind of like outside playing on a really nice day. Um, probably some of the things that you were doing yesterday because of how beautiful it was outside. So that's a really important passage. So I really, uh, if you haven't yet, please mark that to sort of understand what happened. He doesn't, again, come out and just tell us like very explicitly. It's more about the details that tell us what happened. So, okay. Make sure you have that marked down. Okay, here we go. The five spots of paint, the man, the woman, the children, the ball remained. The rest was a thin charcoal layer. The gentle sprinkler rain filled the garden with falling light. Until this day, how well the house had kept its peace, how carefully it had inquired, who goes there? What's the password? And getting no answer from lonely foxes and whining cats, it had shut up its windows and drawn shades in an old maidenly preoccupation with self-protection which bordered on mechanical paranoia. It quivered at each sound, the house did. If a sparrow brushed a window, the shade snapped up. The bird startled, flew off. No, not even a bird must touch the house. Twelve noon, a dog whined, shivering on the front porch. The front door recognized the dog's voice and opened. The dog, once a huge and fleshy, once huge and fleshy, but now gone to bone and covered with sores, moved in and through the house, tracking mud. Behind it were angry mice, angry at having to pick up mud, angry at inconvenience. I always think about the mice, sorry, that's not in the story, but I always think about the mice as like a, like a Roomba vacuum. <laughs> that's kind of like what they are, right? They, they detect dirt and filth and they kind of just go, go and do it themselves and pick up and then tuck away. I have Roomba, so that's exactly what I think about. For not a leaf fragment blew under the door, but what the wall panels flipped open and the copper scrap rats flashed swiftly out. The offending dust, hair, or paper seized in miniature steel jaws was raced back in, back to the burrows. There, down tubes which fed into the cellar, 
It was dropped into the sighing vent of an incinerator, which sat like an evil ball in a dark corner. The dog ran upstairs, hysterically yelping at each door, at last realizing as the house realized that only silence was there. It sniffed the air and scratched the kitchen door. Behind the door, the stove was making pancakes, which filled the house with a rich baked odor and the scent of maple syrup. The dog frothed at the mouth, lying at the door, sniffing, its eyes turned in, turned to fire. It ran wildly in circles, biting at its tail, spun in a frenzy, and died. It lay in the parlor for an hour. Two o'clock, sang a voice, delicately sensing decay at last. The regiments of mice hummed out as softly as blown gray leaves in an electrical wind. 2.15. The dog was gone. In the cellar, the incinerator glowed suddenly, and a whirl of sparks leaped up the chimney. 2.35. Bridge tables sprouted from patio walls, playing cards. Oh, sorry. Patio walls. (laughs) Playing cards fluttered onto pads in a shower of pips. Martinis manifested on an oaken bench with egg salad sandwiches. Music played. But the tables were silent and the cards untouched. At four o'clock, the tables folded like great butterflies back through the paneled walls. 4.30. The nursery walls glowed. Animals took shape. Yellow giraffes, blue lions, pink antelopes, lilac panthers, cavorting in crystal substance. The walls were glass. They looked out upon color and fantasy. Hidden films clocked through well-oiled sprockets, and the walls lived. The nursery floor was woven to resemble a crisp cereal metal. Over this ran aluminum roaches and iron crickets, and in the hot still air, butterflies of delicate red tissue wavered among the sharp aroma of animal spores. There was a sound like a great matted yellow hive of bees within a dark within a dark bellows. The lazy bumble of purring of a purring lion. And there was the patter of okapi feet and the murmur of a fresh jungle rain like other hoofs falling upon the summer starched grass. Now the walls dissolved into distances of parched grass mile on mile and warm endless skies. The animals drew away into the thorn breaks and water holes. It was the children's hour. So that's uh, all describing the the nursery wall, so like a child's wall. So obviously none of those animals are actually there. It's more like a projected image. Um, so again, think about like technology. It's kind of like what would soothe a child maybe during nap time or something of that nature. So um, if that part seemed confusing at first, uh, I hope that maybe cleared it up for you because there are no lions or elephants or giraffes in the nursery it's just like projected images um just all kind of going about their day right and then of course the dog that's you know the family dog had survived somehow and then dies on the bed on the parlor floor and it's just kind of swept away and brought to the incinerator and burned and it's very like I said very eerie very unsettling all of it Five o'clock, the bath filled with clear hot water. 
6, 7, 8 o'clock. The dinner dish is manipulated like magic tricks, and in the study, a click. In the metal stand opposite the hearth, where a fire now blazed up warmly, a cigar popped out, half an inch of soft gray ash on it, smoking, waiting. 9 o'clock. The beds warmed their hidden circuits for nights were cool here. 9-5. A voice spoke from the study ceiling. Mr. McClellan, which poem would you like this evening? The house went silent. The voice said at last, Since you express no preference, I shall select a poem at random. Quiet music rose to back the voice. Sarah Teasdale, as I recall, your favorite. There will come soft rains and the smell of the ground, and swallows circling with their shimmering sound, and frogs in the pools singing at night, and wild plum trees in tremulous white. Robins will wear their feathery fire, whistling their whims on a low fence wire, and not one will know of the war, not one will care at last when it is done. Not one would mind, neither bird nor tree, if mankind perished utterly. And Spring herself, when she woke at dawn, would scarcely know that we were gone. I want you to reread that poem to yourself and do a little poem analysis there, like kind of break down what that poem's about, okay? Because it's really, it's very specific um, to the story that it's in. So there is a choice here being made by Bradbury to include that specific poem in his story. So I want you to take a second look at that. The fire burned on the stone hearth and the cigar fell away into a mound of quiet ash on its tray. The empty chairs faced each other between the silent walls and the music played. At 10 o'clock, the house began to die. The wind blew. A falling tree bough crashed through the kitchen window. Cleaning solvent bottled shattered over the stove. The room was ablaze in an instant. Fire! screamed a voice. The house lights flashed. Water pumps shot from the ceilings. But the solvent spread on the linoleum, licking, eating under the kitchen floor while the voices took it up in a chorus. Fire! 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 The house tried to save itself. Doors sprang tightly shut, but the windows were broken by the heat and the wind blew and sucked upon the fire. The house gave ground as the fire in ten billion angry sparks moved with flaming ease from room to room and then up the stairs. While scurrying water rats squeaked from the walls, pistoled their water and ran for more, the wall sprays let down showers of mechanical rain. But too late. Somewhere, sighing, a pump shrugged to a stop. The quenching rain ceased. The reserve water supply, which had filled baths and washed dishes for many quiet days, was gone. The fire crackled up the stairs. It fed upon Picassos and Matisses in the upper halls, like delicacies baking off the oily flesh, tenderly crisping the canvases into black shavings. Now the fire lay in beds, stood in windows, changed the color of drapes, and then reinforcements. From attic trap doors, blind robot faces peered down with faucet mouths, gushing green chemical. The fire backed off, as even an elephant must at the sight of a dead snake. Now there were 20 snakes whipping over the floor, killing the fire with clear, cold venom of green froth. But the fire was clever. It had sent flame outside the house, up through the attic to the pumps there. An explosion. The attic brain which, had, which directed the pumps was shattered into bronze shrapnel on the beams.
The fire rushed back into every closet and felt of the clothes hung there. The house shuddered, oak bone on bone, its bared skeleton cringing from the heat, its wire, its nerves revealed as if a surgeon had torn the skin off to let the red veins and capillaries quiver in the scalded air. Help, help, fire, run, run. Heat snapped mirrors like the first brittle winter ice, and the voices wailed, fire, fire, run, run. Like a tragic nursery rhyme, a dozen voices high, low, like children dying in a forest, alone, alone. And the voices fading as the wires popped their sheathings like hot chestnuts. One, two, three, four, five voices died. In the nursery, the jungle burned. Blue lions roared, purple giraffes bounded off. The panthers ran in circles, changing color. And 10 million animals running before the fire vanished off toward a distant streaming river. 10 more voices died. In the last instant under the fire avalanche, other choruses oblivious could be heard announcing the time, cutting the lawn by a remote control mower, or setting an umbrella frantically out and in. The slamming and opening front door, a thousand things happening, like a clock shop when each clock strikes the hour insanely before before or after the other, a scene of maniac confusion, yet unity, singing, screaming, a few last cleaning mice darting bravely out to carry the horrid ashes away, and one voice with sublime disregard for the situation read poetry aloud in the fiery study until all the film spools burned, until all the wires withered and the circuits cracked. The fire burst the house and let it slam flat down puffing out skirts of spark and smoke in the kitchen an instant before the rain of fire and timber the stove could be seen making breakfasts at a psychopathic rate 10 dozen eggs six loaves of toast 20 dozen bacon strips which eaten by fire started the stove working again hysterically hissing the crash the attic smashing into the kitchen and parlor the parlor into the cellar cellar into sub cellar deep freeze armchair film tapes circuits beds and all the skeletons thrown in a cluttered mound deep under smoke and silence a great quantity of smoke dawn showed faintly in the east among the ruins one wall stood alone within the wall a last voice said over and over again and again even as the sun rose to shine upon the heaped rubble and steam today is august 5th 2026 today is august 5th 2026 today is Woo. okay <laughs> so um that is there will come soft rains and like i said i want you to definitely take a look at the poem that's included um take a look at the personification at the end especially the personification of the fire um the house itself there's a lot of examples of personification and that's also very important because remember what personification is right giving inanimate objects human-like qualities and then think about the situation of the story itself where there are no humans okay so there's obviously something to that there um and that's all the teaching i'm going to do <laughs> within this uh, i hope you enjoyed it um please feel free to re-listen uh even though i stumbled a couple times or reread it yourself 
um, or find a recording online. There's tons of recordings online. So if you can't stand my voice, um, I don't blame you. I can't stand listening to my voice either. So you can go and find something else online read by somebody else um, if you rather prefer doing that. Okay, so whatever works for you guys, you need to do that for yourself. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, if you did make it through the whole thing, uh, keep on keeping on. We can do this. We can finish strong to my class. I miss you all so much. I wish we were back in school all together, but I know we will. We will someday soon and I will see you soon. Um, but everyone just stay safe. Keep washing your hands. Keep keeping your distance, social distancing, um, lots of FaceTime and Zoom calls are what we need to do right now to, to stay connected. So, all right, guys, stay, stay healthy and I'll talk to you soon.